Hey, it's Cody Woodard, pastor of Renovation Church in Gallatin, Tennessee. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. I hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Give it up for all of our first time guests in the room. Come on. Hey, we are so excited that you're here. This really is a church where you can belong before you believe. And we are in week two of a series called We Didn't See It coming. And the reason why is because there's all of these moments in our lives that we didn't see coming. Am I right? And I don't know what your it is, but maybe for some of you at the front of this pandemic months ago, maybe you got laid off for your, from your job and you didn't see it coming. Or maybe for you, you've been dating somebody or you're in a relationship and you, you went home and all of a sudden that relationship ended. You didn't see, you didn't see it coming. Or maybe for some of you, your parents in the room and you thought school was gonna go back to normal and now you're having to navigate a hybrid season and some of you having to homeschool your kids. Can we just give it up for all the parents in the room that's got kids, come on. But right, the the reality is, is that we all have these moments that we didn't see coming. And what happens oftentimes, kind of our gut reaction, kind of what we respond with when we have these moments we don't understand, we don't know the purpose of, is we start to ask this question. And, and I think it's a great question. I think it's a dangerous question. I think a lot of times it can do more hurt to your faith than build your faith. But I think it's an okay question to ask. And it's a question that for many of you, especially as parents, is the most annoying question in the world. It's for some of you, the first question you ever asked. And it's really simple. It's this one, it's why. It's, it's why. My two-year-old asks me that all the time. I'm like, hey, hey go, go over there and sit down. He's like, why? I'm like, you're two, stop, right? But we ask this question we go, well, why? What's the, what's the reason? What's the purpose? What, how many of you have asked why in this season? Come on. And so we ask that question. I think it's a good question, but as long as you're willing to get an answer that you don't like, or maybe not to get an answer when you want it, I think the question why is a great one. And so there's this season that we're all in right now, no matter what it is, that we didn't see coming. And if you're anything like me, you like having plans. Okay, like I plan stuff out, I I put my task, I try to knock them out. I love having plans. I hate things that are surprises. I hate the unpredictability. But here's what I wanna tell you, and and, and this is gonna unsettle you. It's not comfortable, but if there's anything I've learned in this season, it's this truth. It's that God is unpredictable. That God is unpredictable. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, because I am not saying that there's any inconsistency in God's character. God is immutable. He's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he'll be the same tomorrow, right? He was faithful then, he's faithful now, and he'll be faithful again forevermore. And so the reason why really any of us are even here and have breath in our lungs is because in a changing world, God has remained consistent. So so I'm not saying that when he's unpredictable, he's unpredictable in his character because we can always predict who God is and who God will be but we can't always predict what God will do or how he'll do it. He's, he's unpredictable and, and you see this in your own life and in mine and if you take the time to read through the scriptures, you'll see it all throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament when Jesus is traveling from town to town, you'll see it in his ministry that the way in which he did something was rarely ever the exact same. Who he was never changed, but the way in which he wanted to distribute the miracles looked different. And so there were times where he would come up and he would, he would speak a word of healing and someone would be healed. There were other times he would go up and he would, he would touch the leper and his skin would be cleansed and he would be forgiven. There, there were other times Jesus would just go straight savage and he'd pick up some dirt and spit in the dirt and make some mud and rub it on a blind man's eyes. 
I don't know about you, but if I was there and I was blind and I heard Jesus go, I'd be like, whoa, what's going on? What you about to do, Jesus? Right? Like the way in which he did it, that was more of a snore. I don't know what that was. And the way in which he did it would change. Right? And so we can count on knowing who he is, but not always how he does it. You see this in the life of Paul, right? Paul has a messenger from Satan known as the thorn in his flesh that's irritating him. And he, he prays and asks God, God, will you please take this thing that Satan gave me? Will you just take it away? And God says, I kind of like it because it's gonna keep you humble. Nope, I'm not gonna take it away. But I will tell you what I will do. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so here's the deal, and I think you realize this, that God will not always change your circumstance, but he does wanna use the circumstance to change you. Right, he doesn't, you don't always know what he's gonna do. And so I don't know if you're like me, but I've, I've said to God so many times in this season, God, like, this is the hardest season in the world to be a pastor. And he says, yes, it is, but you've never trusted me more. Some of you are like, God, I've never been in so much pain. And he goes, you've also never been in so much prayer. And so his character is consistent, but the way in which he does it changes. And so the quality of our life will be determined by how we respond to moments that we didn't see coming. The content, the, the quality of your life will be determined. It'll be defined by in moments you didn't understand, in moments you didn't see coming. It will be determined. How you live your life will be determined how you respond to moments you didn't see coming. And so what I wanna do is I wanna take a look at a story as we continue in the series of Didn't See It Coming. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter nine where Saul was knocked off his horse and God repurposed his life and he becomes Paul, which I just referenced, who wrote half the New Testament. And this week, I wanna take a look at Acts chapter 12 and I wanna take a look at Peter. But before I read that, I wanna jump ahead later on in Peter's life when he's an old man, when he's in his 60s or 70s. I mean, hold up, that ain't old. But when he's older, he's got experience. And what I wanna do is I wanna take a look at what he says for you and I when these moments we don't understand what, what happens in them, how to respond and what God wants us to do. If you're, if you're willing and you're ready to hear the word, say amen. amen. So I'm gonna go First Peter 1. I wanna read this to you again. He is writing at a time of great persecution. There's this evil king that are literally, is literally setting people on fire. He was known to actually take Christians and dip them in wax and hang them from trees and set them on fire. So Peter knows even in this time he's writing that the Christians, what they're experiencing is one of real persecution, one of real pain. And this is what he says to him. He says, this is a letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who were living as foreigners. Say foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Now that concept of foreigners, the reason why I wanted to share it to you, it can be translated a few different ways. He's saying to the Christians of the day, into those churches, into those regions, he's saying, because you've been saved, because you have a relationship with this God, 
You are a foreigner. Now here's what can be translated. It can be translated as exiles. It can be translated as sojourners. It can be translated as aliens, not the ones that ride in the UFOs, nothing like that. It can be translated as strangers. And, and so what God wants you to understand and what I, what today and even then is that if you are a Christian, this world is not your home. That you are simply passing through. That, that you're not, there's something greater that you're living for than just the moment. There's something greater living for than just what's around us right now. And so what Peter's trying to get them to understand is that if you are a foreigner, if you have been set free, you are simply passing through. Therefore, when trials happen, you're gonna have a different faith. You will respond differently. You'll have a different joy. You'll have a different hope when you're hurting, when you don't know what's going on, when you don't know why. There's something different about the way Christians, people of the way, people who know God are to respond or to respond as if this world is in our home. So we parent differently. We raise our kids differently. We manage our finances differently. And so Peter's telling them, because you are a foreigner, because you are a stranger, because you are simply passing through, your faith should look different. I'm gonna skip down to verse six. And so he says this to them as they're experiencing a season they didn't see coming. He says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. So here's what he means with that. He's saying, listen, there's gonna be some things in your life that happen. And he says, you're gonna have to endure it for a little while which means there's some things you're going through right now that I know you're praying and asking God to get you out of. And God's saying, I'm gonna leave you there for a little while because I wanna change you in it. Then he says this, he says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. He gives us the, one of the purposes of the reason why we go through things. For some of you, you've had things that you didn't see come and happen to you and you've spent your lifetime going, God, why? Why did that have to happen? I don't understand, I don't get it. One of the purposes is that he wants to see if your faith is genuine, it's the purpose of a trial. And as I read that word genuine, I began to think, well, if there's a genuine faith, then that must mean there's also a disingenuous faith. And so I'm just gonna be honest with you, not only as a follower of Jesus, but as your pastor, one of my greatest fears is that you could be coming in here week after week, sitting in the seat, lifting your hands, believing that you're saved, but your faith isn't real. And so really quick, I just wanna talk through three types of false faith, if you wanna call them that. Three types of false faith that I think are really common. And I think if you'll just be open and honest, this might be actually where some of you are today and that's okay. But here's three different types of false faith. The first one is inherited faith. It's an inherited faith, write that down. This is the idea for some of us, and we see this especially in the South, but you really see it all over America, you see it all over the world, is this idea that, well, my mama was a Baptist, my daddy was a Baptist, I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night, VBS, church camp, whatever it may be. It's this idea of an inherited faith that it's just like, I've just always been this way. I've just always like, I've always been Christian. I was kind of born, I was born Christian. Right, and like, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not an atheist, so that must mean I'm, I'm a Christian. For others of you, maybe you grew up with a more traditional background and you, you came from a Methodist background or Presbyterian or even maybe Catholic. And for some of you, you've believed that, well, because I was baptized or christened as a baby, then I'm good. 
This is the same belief, an inherited faith. It's the same belief that, that Judaism practices of because of my nationality, I'm automatically okay. And so we believe this lie that we have an inherited faith. And my greatest fear is that you have an inherited faith and you think it's yours, but really it's your mama's. Really it's your family's. But you've never come to the point where it's actually yours, where you own it. First one is inherited faith. The second one is a shallow faith. The second one is a shallow faith. And this comes from the idea from a story that Jesus tells, a parable that he tells in Matthew chapter 13, as he's talking about, um, there's, a, there's a farmer who sows different types of seeds and he begins to talk about the different kinds of seeds. And then he begins to explain to them what they mean so they can actually understand. I love that Jesus will always take the time to help you understand. He teaches in a narrative, but then he breaks it down. And, and so, he begins to explain it and he says that there's some seeds that will kind of fall on rocky ground and they'll, they'll receive the word initially with joy and then a little plant will spring up. But then when the sun comes out and the worries of the world hit, the plant is scorched and it dies. And it says because the roots weren't deep enough. And, and my, my fear is that there for some of you, you may have said, I received it with joy. I'm excited. I'm here up in church. But you have a shallow faith. And, and I'm, I'm going to be real. Studies show this. I have seen this over and over and over, especially in the church, even this church, even though we're only like 10 months old, where you can be excited about God. You can join a dream team. You can serve. You can be up in here every week. But studies show there's, a major, there's some people in this room that six months from now, I'll probably never see you again. And the reason why is because you're not planted with deep roots. This is why it's important for you to actually, whether if it's, not, if it's here or not, it doesn't matter to me. I would love for it to be here. But this is why it's important for you to actually plant yourself in a church so that you can actually be discipled. Discipleship doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings in rows. Discipleship happens in a community at homes. This is how you grow. And so what will happen in life is you're gonna have some things hit you and if you don't have the roots that are deep enough and you're not planted somewhere, you'll just get thrown around. And that's my fear that you would, have a, you would have a shallow faith. This is why we do groups. This is why we make such a big deal about community. It's because you weren't created to do life alone. And, and, and so the way this happens, I'm just gonna say this, I'll own this as a pastor. I think one of the ways that we produce shallow Christians with shallow faith is that I could get up here, our worship team can get up in here and we can create an emotional experience for you and cause you to emotionally respond to something you have no idea what it's about. How many of you have had this happen before? You've seen it happen. So it's a shallow faith. Let me give you the third one. It's a conditional faith. It's a conditional faith. This, this is the idea that I'm gonna follow Jesus and as long as everything goes according to my plans, and they happen the way I think they'll happen, we're good. But as soon as something happens I don't like, as soon as something gets hard, as soon as I experience pain, as soon as something happens I didn't see coming, I don't want anything to do with God, anything to do with the church, and I don't want anything to talk about it. It's a conditional faith. And the problem with the conditional faith is God is unpredictable. Now, what I'm not saying is that he's causing you pain. I'm not saying he caused the coronavirus, but what I am trying to tell you is that God wants to actually use it for his good and for his glory. And so like, if you'll just lean in to this season and go, God, even though I don't get it, I refuse to have an inherited faith 
I refuse to have a shallow faith. And I refuse to love you conditionally because you didn't love me conditionally. And so these are the three types of, of faith that we see so prevalent within, within culture. And so then why does God allow us to experience these trials? Right, like how does he use them? How does he want to do this? Put the verse back up. It says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. What he wants you to understand is that trials reveal who you trust. Trials reveal who you trust. Then it says this, it says, it is being tested as fire test and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Christ Jesus is revealed to the whole world. He says the purpose of this, it's like gold being refined and has to go through this process over and over and over until all of the impurities are removed. I like to say it like this, that a faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. And so today I really wanna to talk to two groups of people. I wanna to talk to those of you who right now in this season, outside of the pandemic stuff, that you're going through a trial. But I also wanna to talk to those of you who maybe you're not in a trial right now, but just in case you didn't know that, you're gonna go into one in the future. So I wanna to talk to everybody, gotcha. I don't know if you know, but if you're not, if you haven't gone through a trial and you're not in a trial, one is coming, right? You're either coming out of one, you're in one, or you're going into a new one. Why? Because life is hard. Can I get an amen? amen? Right? Like this is what happens. And so that's who I want to talk to today. And I want to, I want to talk to you about this because Peter, in this time, as he writes it, he's, he's saying all kinds of stuff and he's telling them, hey, I want you to, there's great joy coming. And then he says this, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. See, there's this reality that when you have gone through some trials, you have a, a closeness to God. There is a joy that you experience when God is close. That's the other purpose of a trial is that God wants to use it to bring you close to him. Because when you're close to him, you have this joy, even though you're hurting, even though you're in pain, even though you don't understand, there's just something about you that goes, you know what, that's okay, I'm gonna keep pressing on. And people look at you and you're like, how are you dealing with this? How are you, how are you doing it? It's inexpressible, it's inexpressible joy. And so for the remainder of our time, I wanna take a look at a story in Peter's past. I kinda wanna do a flashback from this moment, 20 something years earlier, because Peter's not just saying this as like an encouragement, go get them, bro. He's saying this because he's been through some stuff. He's saying this because he's experienced real persecution and even thrown in prison for it. So Acts chapter 12, I'm gonna start in verse one. If you're ready for the word, say yeah. yeah. Acts chapter 12, here's what it says. Starting in verse one, it says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. He was chasing clout. That's in there. 
This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. That's 16 people to watch a preacher. Come on, somebody, help your brother out. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Now here's the next verse. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And so now we have a showdown. We have Herod's prison versus the church's prayers. We have Herod's intention versus God's purpose. And it says that they were earnestly praying to God for him. This is the idea of what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks. An earnest prayer isn't a safe prayer. An earnest prayer is a dangerous prayer. An earnest prayer is something that is consistent. That it's the idea in Matthew chapter seven when Jesus says to keep asking and you will find, to seek and knock and then you will, it will be given to you. The door will be opened. To keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. It's the idea of a persistent prayer that is powerful and effective. So they're not just up in here just praying, going through the motions. They're calling down heaven in this situation to pray for Peter. Why? Because they had just lost James. And so how do they have the faith to pray for Peter when they had just lost, when they had just lost James. See, King Herod, he was persecuting the church, killing him. He was going after the head. This movement has started and he's trying to, he's trying to shut it down. And, and I don't know if you realize this, but the church is here today, not because it came from success to success, but it came from sacrifice to sacrifice. And for some reason, there's this idea in culture that following Jesus is supposed to be easy. You do know the man Jesus that we follow was stripped naked, beaten, and hung on a cross and died. This idea of following Jesus isn't to be just sunshine and rainbows, everything goes my way. And the church knew this because at this time, they weren't just experiencing Herod's persecution. There was also a famine in the land. And so just, just a chapter before, if you read, you'll see where they actually had to take up offerings just so that the church could survive through this pandemic that was happening in culture. And so now they got Herod taking out their leaders, going after the head, going after James. And now they got Peter. I mean, it would have been different if it was Bartholomew. I mean, I'm sure he's cool, but Peter's one of the guys. Right, but they get they get Peter, and the thing you see when you study the scriptures, when you look at Acts, every time the church is persecuted, it multiplies. Here's why. Because persecution is a precursor to multiplication. And so what would happen is, is the church would experience all of this stuff that happened to them, and somehow, some way, when they tried to silence the church, it just seemed like they got louder. They just found a new way to meet. They found a new way to talk to people. They found a new way to do community, to do life. This is why I believe the best days are ahead. Because where there is great opposition, there's great opportunity. And so see, some of you are experiencing opposition in your life and you think it's the devil, you're giving the devil too much credit. The fact that you're experiencing opposition may be the reality is that you're actually a threat. And let me just say this, if you've never experienced opposition for your faith, your faith may not be the threat. So just because you're experiencing some tough times right now doesn't mean that God's left you. And it doesn't even mean the enemy is attacking you. But what, what God will do is he'll allow things to happen so that your faith 
will be genuine. And so here, here he is, and they're, and they're praying for, they're praying for Peter. And they have no idea what Peter is doing. They have no idea how he's doing. And he, and likewise, he doesn't know how the church is doing. Here Peter is up in prison. And, and I want you to watch what happens when Peter's in prison. In this moment of great persecution, in this moment where Peter was there because of his obedience, not his disobedience. He had done everything God asked him to do and still found his way in prison. And so what's he doing? What is he doing on the night before his trial? Because see, what he knows is that James was just killed. It said James was killed by the sword. That means Herod had him beheaded. So Peter knows his boy James just got his head chopped off. And now he's about to be put on public trial knowing that the same thing is about to happen to him. So let's, let's peep into Peter's prison, can we? Verse six, here's what it says. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was what? <laughs> Pacing? Freaking out? Complaining? Eating? Coming up with an argument? What was he doing? He was sleeping. That got me. Because the Peter I know and the Peter you see throughout Scripture is reactionary. He's the guy that when somebody wants to stand up to Jesus, he pulls out a sword and will cut off somebody's ear. But in the middle of persecution, in the middle of knowing, the night before he's supposed to die, he's sleeping? Watch what it says. It says that he was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. He was bound with two chains and Lil Wayne was in a cell next to him. <laughs> he's in the middle. He finds himself in the middle of what God told him he was gonna do and where he was coming, coming next. And so what do you do when you're in the middle? How could Peter be sleeping the night before his trial? How'd he do that? When you find yourself in a season and you don't know what's going on and where you're at presently, you have to borrow the faithfulness of God from the past. This wasn't his first time in prison. He'd been there. Because I've been here before. If God wants me out, he'll get me out. But sleeping. How, how do you sleep? Maybe, I'm gonna sit down for this. This is, this is too good to, to not sit down on. I just need to, can, I, can I just teach for a second? You remember in, um, you remember in Mark chapter four, Jesus tells his disciples that he's gonna, he, let's go to the other side. There's people over there that we wanna reach. Let's, let's go over there. So he puts his disciples, they get in the boat and in the middle of the night, a storm comes. Remember the story? And the storm is coming and their disciples are freaking out. They don't know, they don't know what in the world's gonna happen. And they're, they're there and, and they're like, we're, we're straining at the oars, the scripture says. And, and then they go, hey, hey, where's Jesus? You know where Jesus was? Sleeping. Just knocked out, snoring. Out. And so they come down to Jesus and they say, Jesus, wake up. And he gets up and he's like, how can you be sleeping in a storm? He says, this is how I fight my battles. Listen, some of you are so freaked out right now and you are so worried and you are so stressed out about everything going on. Some of you just need to learn how to sleep on it. Turn to your neighbor next to you, say, sleep on it. Turn to the other one, do a little louder, say, sleep on it. Now, what I'm telling you is, I'm not saying for you to be lazy. 
But understand that when Peter got himself here because of his obedience, he had done everything right. So I'm not telling you just to sit back and be like, oh, I'm just gonna wait on God. That's an excuse for you to be lazy. Understand, Peter did everything he was supposed to do. So when you come to the point in life, and it's gonna happen, when you have done all you can do, there comes a time where you say, God, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I need you to show up. I'm gonna take a nap. Because whatever it is you're worrying about, God is already working out. Whatever, whatever you got going on, God's already working it out. And so sometimes it's time to stop straining. It's time to stop freaking out and coming up with arguments and defending and making. No, 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 just, just take a nap. Sleep on it. Trust that you're not in control. Listen, control really is an illusion. You're really not that much in control like you think you are. You're not. I'm not saying you're a robot. I'm not saying God forces you to do something. What I'm trying to tell you is that, that God is always in control. He's sovereign. And he's gonna do and work the way he wants to do and work. He'll always be faithful to who he is, but how he wants to do it will change. And so you just gotta go, God, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And now I just want to take cues from Jesus. And I'm gonna go in one of them deep sleeps. You know, scripture teaches that God gives sleep to those he loves. It's like one of my favorite verses. How many of you love taking naps? That, some of y'all need to take some naps. <laughs> I love taking naps. How many of you love a good night's sleep? Listen, some of you just gotta learn how to sleep on it, how to just relax. I know you're freaking out. Parents, I know you're trying to raise your kid and I know you're trying to put them through a hybrid school. Some of you have quit your job so you can homeschool them. Shout out to all the parents in the room. I, I get it. But at, there comes a point where you go, I've done all I can do. God, I'm gonna need you to show up. I'm just gonna trust you. Remember what I said last week? That faith is trusting God's direction without knowing the details. So God, I don't, I don't know all the details. I just know the right direction to step, so I'm gonna do that. So here's my question. Do you just trust God for your past or can you trust him with your future? Because that's where worry comes in, am I right? So sometimes you just gotta look back and how God has been faithful and you have to believe what Peter believed and go, listen, I've been here before. If he's been faithful then, he's gonna be faithful now. And even if he doesn't do what I think he'll do, he's still worthy of my praise, amen? Here's what it says. Next, as we continue to read on verse seven, it says, suddenly, say suddenly. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. He said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Notice the order. Quick, get up. Say, get up. And then the chains fell off. So if you wanna experience freedom, sometimes you gotta get up first. That's why it's not just going, oh, I'm just gonna sit back and do nothing. No, 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 God's still calling you to work. While you wait, you still work but you still trust him. So first he says, Peter, get up. And once he gets up, then the chains fall off. Then it says this verse nine, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. Now watch what happens. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. What does Peter do? He gets up, the angel says, put on your sandals, lace them Jesus shoes up, lace your Yeezys up, put on your outfit, put on your cloak, 
and follow me. When you're in a season you don't understand, sometimes faith is just getting up, putting your clothes on, putting your shoes on, going to work, loving your kids, raising your kids, making sure you're not giving them the leftovers. Sometimes faith is just getting up, trusting the direction of God without knowing the details. Amen? He said he had no idea. He didn't know what the angel was doing. And so the angel gives a command. He says, get up and follow me. Sounds like a, a consistent command we keep getting, right? Jesus said the same thing to his disciples. Hey, get up, drop your nets, and follow me. Peter's heard that command before. So what does he do? He follows him. They go through the first gate, the, first, the second one, and he comes to the third gate. And what did he do? Did he push the gate open? No, 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 no. It was opened by itself. What am I trying to get you to see? God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. I'm gonna say that again. I don't want you to let it sink in. God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. What I mean is that he has given you the ability. He's given you some talents. He's given you the opportunity to respond to the call of follow me. So your obedience is what leads to freedom from whatever season you're in. It's not just sit back, do nothing. It first starts with God going, hey, I wanna know you, follow me, trust me. But then you gotta work. Then you gotta actually obey God. And because he obeyed God, God did what only God can do and open the gate. Peter didn't have to push it open. He was being obedient and he said, God, I'm, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you're going. This angel said to get up. He didn't ask why. He didn't ask for details. He didn't ask where they were going. He didn't ask if he was gonna get some food because he's been in jail, none of that. What'd he do? He got up, he followed him in a daze, had no idea what was going. So what'd he do? He said, I'm gonna do what I can do, but God, I'm gonna trust you to do what only you can do. And so what has happens? The gate opens. Peter followed him out of prison had no idea what the angel was doing, what was happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Next verse. Somewhere, there it is. They passed the first and second gate, it opened, they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to, came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. When did he get clarity? After he obeyed. I prayed for so long, y'all about what God wanted me to do next. And he says, stop asking me what you want me to do next. Start doing what I've told you now. It starts with obedience. Some of us aren't being obedient to God because we keep praying for clarity and God's going, I've already told you what to do. If you'll just do it and you start following me, then I'll give you clarity. So when this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, Mary the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Stop right there. I wanna back up a little bit because the scripture keeps saying this one word. It keeps saying suddenly. Suddenly. Say suddenly. suddenly. What I've come to realize is that the sudden movements of God come on the earnest prayers of people. That there has never been a movement of God that didn't first start in prayer. See, the miracle happened in prison, but it started in prayer right? They were praying for him. And all of a sudden, suddenly the angel shows up. Isn't it like God to show up at the last minute? 
I mean, here's my question. If God knew he was going to get Peter out of the prison the entire time, why did he even let him get in there in the first place? The same reason why you keep asking the question, God, why are you even letting this happen? I don't get it. I don't understand. Why? Why am I going through it? And how are you going to use it? And so Peter this, this, this angel shows up suddenly and, and I just started thinking, you know, it's so much like God that at the last minute, he shows up and saves. Isn't that the gospel? That at just the right time, he died for the ungodly? The gospel is late in the midnight hour. God turned it around. Where you come to the place where you're at the end of yourself, you feel like your life is over, you don't know what you're doing next. All of a sudden, Peter's in prison, Herod's gonna kill him, he's gonna cut off his head. And just at the right time, he showed up. I don't know what you're going through. Or I don't know all you're going through. I don't know how this has affected you. But what I believe today is that just at the right time, right now, God wants to show up and let you know, listen, what you're going through isn't a punishment. Life happens, it gets hard, but what his promise is, is he will always be who he, called, who he said he'd be. And he wants to show up and remind you that he's close. So Peter experiences freedom and he gets out and he goes to Mary's house where they were gathered and were praying. I love that. I love the fact that they were still praying after he had been in prison for seven to eight days. They were still praying. That got me. Because a lot of times, I'll pray and I'll stop too soon. I mean, how could they be praying when they knew James was killed? Why would they still be praying for Peter? But they, they faithfully prayed. And now watch what happens. It's my favorite part of the story. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. Peter knocked. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. Opening it. Say, come on, Rhoda. Say, Rhoda, open the door. The very thing you're praying for is standing on the other side. I think sometimes we don't really believe God will answer our prayer request. Somebody say, open the door. So here Rhoda is. Peter's like, knock, knock. Rhoda, it's me, it's Peter. She gets so excited, she just take off running. Goes back, talks to him. When she recognized Peter's voice, she ran back and said, Peter's at the door. They said, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel, but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Somebody said, open the door. Somebody said, keep knocking. Say, open the door, keep knocking. Open the door, keep knocking. Come on, open the door, keep knocking. Which one do you need to do? For some of us, we've just quit too soon. For some of you, the very thing you're praying about is standing on the other side of the door. The miracle that you prayed for, and all you gotta do is open it. Some of you are just quitting too soon. 
You're not really believing that God can actually save your cousin, that God can actually save your friend who is bound in addiction, who is in an abusive relationship. You, you, you've, you've thought, you know, I've prayed about that a couple of times and they're still doing their own thing. To save your family, to get them out of the prison that they find themselves in. And what God is trying to tell you is that if you would just open the door, they might be right there and you have the opportunity to let them know about who I am. So open the door. And others of you need to keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. Because the fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And what's the reward? What's the reward for this season you're in? Watch what first Peter says. He says that the reward, verse nine, is the salvation of your souls. Even though Peter got out of prison, the promise of God isn't always to fix your circumstance. The, problem, the, the promise of God isn't always to set you free from your problems. The promise of God is to always set you free from your sin. This is the gospel. That he loves you so much, he's not gonna leave you there. He's not gonna leave you in addiction. He's not gonna leave you in pain. He's not gonna leave you in fear. He wants to give you an inexpressible joy that only comes through the presence and power of God. That he's never forsaken you. I know you feel like he's gone right now, but he's still here. He's still close. And he wants to use this season to show that your faith is genuine and for you to know that he is close that not for a minute were you forsaken. Somebody needs to hear that today. You weren't forsaken, God hasn't left you. He's still here, he's still moving. And so today you need to open the door and let him into your heart. Today you need to keep asking, God, keep moving. God, I'm gonna keep asking you for it. I'm gonna believe it, I'm gonna keep asking until that miracle, whoever that may be, is standing on the other side of the door and you give me the opportunity of a lifetime to open it for him. If you believe it, somebody shout amen. Hey, will you stand with me right now? We wanna sing this song. Listen, I want you to believe it. I want you to declare it over your life that not for a minute was you forsaken. That the Lord is in this place. When we say in this place, we're not just talking about in this room. We're talking about in you. You are the temple. And God chooses to show up in you so that you can know in the middle of a trial, in the middle of moments you didn't see coming, He is with you. Come on, somebody, put your hands together. Thank God.
I know you didn't see this moment coming. I know you have had moments in your life you didn't know were coming. But God did. And when God shows up, everything changes. So I know for some of you, you walked in here and you had an inherited faith. There's other of you who have walked in here and had a shallow faith. There's others of you who are walking in and you've had a conditional faith. And today is the day, now is the time, right now, that God is knocking on that door and all you have to do is open it. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is receive his grace in order to experience his forgiveness, in order to experience his freedom. So right now I would love for us to all pray out loud together for the benefit of those who are coming to Christ or coming back to God. Will you pray this with me? Put your hands towards heaven. Father, say thank you. I love you. I believe you died on the cross for me, that you resurrected from the grave so that I can be forgiven and free. Today, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we put your hands together for everybody who prayed that prayer for the first time. Come on. Come on, you can do better than that. The angels in heaven are rejoicing. I want to say this to the rest of you. I want to encourage you to keep knocking. I want, you, I want to encourage you to keep seeking. So right now, I would love to just pray over you. And I think it's for everybody in the room that if you're in the middle of a trial right now and you're saying, God, I'm just going to sleep on it. I'm going to keep being obedient. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. If that's you and you just, you're saying, God, today I'm going to trust you. I'm going to sleep on it. We just lift your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Hands are going up all over the room. Say, God, I love you. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your mercy. God, I, I trust you with my circumstance. I'm going to trust you with the direction and you'll work out the details. We love you. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. I hope it encouraged you. We would love the opportunity to pray for you. Send an email to info at renovation.church. And if you would like to partner with us financially and help us reach people with the message of Jesus, you can do so at renovation.church give. Have a great day.